Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Take a licking. <laughs> there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for super chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Calm Box Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, Our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. All right, thank you very much for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We we took about a week off uh, from broadcasting. Um, you uh, probably have already heard the news. Uh, we posted it over on the Facebook page and our uh, Twitter account. Um, and uh, so you probably already know this. If you don't, well, you're about to find out. But uh, my dad passed away Um probably could be categorized as unexpectedly. Um, He was in and out of the hospital after Christmas with uh, pneumonia. And when you're 84 years old, we know that pneumonia really takes a hit on your body. And uh, what we think happened was uh, he went in and out of the hospital, we got it all, then he went home. Then he he got a reoccurrence a few days later, then he goes back. And and, um, I had talked to him, I guess, 
uh, a week ago Sunday night, maybe or two weeks ago Sunday night, and um, which was the last time I physically talked with him because of his uh, hospital, this being in the CCU, and then uh, having to be sedated and um, and whatnot. But um, and, and when I asked him, I said, "Hey, how you doing, pops? Uh, just calling to see how how you were doing." And uh, he had a nurse that had stopped by uh, to take pressure and things like that. And he said, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm not doing all that great. I'm feeling a little... Un- when, when my dad, and if you knew my dad, you would know, when he says he's not feeling well or he's just not up to par, or, you know something is not right. So I had a feeling at that point because here's a gentleman that literally, this is a, the, the God's honest truth, um, cut his part of his thumb off with a table saw doing woodworking and has the dog lick it and puts a Band-Aid on it and says, I'll be good. And in that case, he was good. It healed back perfectly fine, no problems. You could see uh, the scar and everything. Um, and this is another true story. It didn't quite pan out for him as good the second time, but um, the uh, the crazy goober was holding a piece of wood in his left hand while drilling through the piece of wood with his right hand. And we all know when we're drilling or cutting something, once it gets to the other side, it loses pressure. And he had a, a I don't know, a, half-inch drill bit went right into his index finger. <laughs> Crazy booger. And uh, same thing. Oh, it'll be fine. Put your Band-Aid on it. No problem. It'll, you know, I'll just drip it in some bleach. It'll be all right. <laughs> that, by the way, that was his cure for poison ivy. He would just basically pour bleach up and down his hands if he got poison ivy or poison ivy. I mean, he was a, he was a bad dude, man. Uh, he was a tough old coot. But, um, but that, that didn't work out for him with his finger. It ended up getting swollen up, I mean, four times the size. He ended up having surgery to clean out the infection. Is so, so just being the, the big man that he was, I put a Band-Aid on it. It's just a drill bit through my finger. Um, it didn't really pan out for him that time. But um, he, he was a great dad. Uh, awesome, awesome memories um, I posted over on my personal page. Didn't get into too many details on my uh, professional page, but... Uh, just, just awesome, awesome dad. We're gonna miss him so much. We, we did things that, that uh, people just, I guess, just dream about, but that we actually did. I mean, just, to, just to name off a few, the things that I did with my dad in my life. We walked on the Great Wall of China. We did. It, it was, it was fascinating. We climbed up, me and dad, uh, 900 and something steps or 1,200 steps up to the top of Notre Dame Cathedral. Uh, we touched. Stonehenge. We we played a snooker tournament in Ireland together. We we um, uh, kissed the Blarney Stone on, at the castle, um, and I can't remember where that was. Maybe that's Ireland or, or Scotland. Then they were backwards. Kissed the Blarney Stone. We we snorkeled in the Caribbean. We we swam off the coast of Hawaii. We um, just we had a, a, me and my parents. Uh, that you know, people say, yeah, I had a I had a drug problem when I was younger. I had a drug problem. My parents drugged me everywhere they went, and it ended up being a blessing. <laughs> uh, all over, you know, t- I think it was last count, twenty six to thirty different countries we visited. Just, just fa- we had a great time, and those are the memories that I'm going to have. I, you know, uh, to carry on my 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 dad, and um, uh, I'm the only one in the family that has a son with the Schneider name, so he will carry on the Schneider legacy. And uh, but but anyway, long story uh, long, and I'd say long story short. But um, it's part of grieving, right? To share these stories. Um, he uh, 
Went back, went to the doctor the next day after I talked to him and apparently had an episode, took him over to the ER, and they transferred him down to the major hospital um, instead of the, the smaller, more rural hospital where his heart doctor was. And um, after doing everything that they could, they deemed that, you know, the he had probably had a congestive heart failure and a type of heart failure for some time. But he dealt with it. His body dealt with it. It didn't it didn't really slow him down. There were no signs. There were no symptoms. He had a little swelling in his legs, so that would have been a sign. Um, but um, and the doctor knew about it, but it was just it, nothing was bothering him. But, but they knew and figured he had had it for some time, and the pneumonia basically exasperated that, uh, brought it more to, into focus, made it worse. And then uh, so, so now we had multi- systems that we had to deal with, uh, the pneumonia, which the pneumonia brought it on. They felt that the pneumonia was gone, and then now we got to work on this. So there was a rate issue and then, a, and then an output issue. Um, he passed away, I guess, um, Monday night, I believe, 8, 8, 11 uh, p.m., and with it 12 hours from the time he passed, they had scheduled a pacemaker surgery, put a pacemaker in. That would have fixed the rate, but it would not have fixed the output or the production or the effectiveness of the heart pumping. But that would have fixed one problem. And once that problem was fixed, which was really giving him the problem of having his episodes where he would code for 10 seconds, um, then they could work on the output, the production of the heart. And we were really hoping that, that we could. they had a plan anyway. And he really had a good day, the day that he passed. Uh, had a great day. He was off any type of breathing. He was never tubed. Um, but anyway, it, so it was kind of unexpected, uh, and even after he was in the hospital, we had a great day where we thought, hey, we're on the upswing now, and then all of a sudden that evening um, he crashed, and he's no longer with us. So uh, it's, it's a void in my life. But you all remember, because I was broadcasting the show um, and doing what I'm doing now back six years ago when my mom passed away, and then now my dad's passed away. So um, no more parents. Uh, in my heart, my mind, and memories, like I said, fascinating and awesome memories from, from some of just the, that's just the tip of the iceberg of some of the things me and my family and my dad and my mom did. So uh, uh, now I'll never have a shortage of memories, fabulous memories of that, even if it's just uh, going fishing or doing some woodworking with him or building model uh, and remote control airplanes and boats and things like that, uh, scouts, making the pine wood derby with him, you know, just things like that which I'm sure a lot of our listeners have. But that's why we had a week where we did not have any broadcast was I was dealing with that. Um, we're back near his home now, and we'll be in this area probably for several weeks. Um, I do want to take a moment. Now, we'll be sending cards. I know it's kind of the opposite, but I will be sending cards Florida that were to start uh, the day after uh, my dad passed. So those were canceled. And I feel terribly about that. Um, I'm, I'm sorry for any inconvenience that caused. I, some people posted. I said, I got the event, didn't hear anything until I got there, and I'm sorry for your loss. And, uh, over 1,000, over 1,100 posted about the loss of my dad. So I thank all my fans for the heartfelt comments that you left for me. Um, so that, that, that I had to cancel. those first time ever in the history of doing this, almost a decade of doing events, that I've had to cancel anything for any reason chasing, you know, being chased by tornadoes when we were traveling and touring through the, the Midwest, or the Midwest and, and Oklahoma and Texas and all that a couple of years ago. Uh, weather, snow, ice, first time I've ever had to cancel anything in the history of Chicken Whisper. And, uh, but it was because of the death of my father. So we're, we're going to get back down there and, and, and get those taken care of again and get those rescheduled maybe next year, maybe even this fall. 
bums, but but I'm going to send them cards to say I really apologize for the inconvenience that may cause for your business and, and even the people that show up. But I know at least one went on, and a representative with Kalmbach that I travel with uh, to each uh, of my shows when I'm on tour, uh, she kind of filled in. She's been for at least two tours, fall and, and spring, uh, been at every single one. So she listening in all those. Uh, she she probably filled in very very well. I'm sure she did. So uh, she went and over 60 people showed up. So that was great for the DR. I just wish I could have been there. So that's why you didn't hear from me last week. There were no shows last week uh, because I was dealing with the death in the family. Still dealing with that probates this Friday and then the funeral Saturday. Um, but hey, I got a show this uh, today. We got a great show today. We've got uh, Rip Stalvey, uh, American Poultry Association judge. He's going to be talking about incubating and brooding show poultry here in just a moment. And then this Thursday, we're going to be talking with poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McCray. She's going to be here Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern. She's going to be talking about bantam breeds, um, just about anything and everything you'd ever want to know about bantam breeds. Uh, that'll be this Thursday at 2. PM. And I want to let everybody know, I don't, let me see if I've got it. I, I'm going to post it later on my Facebook page. I will be uh, on a uh, local radio station here where I met, uh, you're one town over from where my dad's home was, a town that we would frequent often. Um, I'm going to be on a, a local radio show broadcast in the morning. Now I will share links to where you can listen, and I will share all that on Facebook and Twitter uh, so you can listen in uh, via the internet to my. Uh, um, interview tomorrow with uh, a local uh, radio program here in the uh, Northeast Georgia Mountains. So I'll share that if you're interested in listening. Um, I think it's going to be really, really fun. I have an idea what's going on. Uh, one of the uh, co-hosts of the show is, is going down the backyard chicken hobby, and they've got the coop. She still has questions. She's picked out her chickens, and, and, and uh, but we're looking forward to talking chicken tomorrow morning, and I'll share how you can tune in to that show. Where I won't be hosting, I'll be a guest. Uh, tomorrow morning, uh, early, I think 8.05 to 8.25, or 8.05 to 8.20 will be my segment. Um, if you get up that early, then you can tune in. That's Eastern time. So if you're out on the West Coast, you'll probably be uh, still sleeping, having sweet dreams about backyard chickens. Anyway, so I want to get all that uh, out of the way. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today, all the homeschoolers that listen to the show uh, incorporate the show into your curriculum. Thank you very much. Um, all the over-the-road truck drivers, we do hear from you when you're listening because you got backyard chickens back at home with your family. We thank you for tuning in. Everybody that listens to the live episode on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. and the thousands of you that listen to the archive show, however you listen to that, iTunes or all the other platforms that carry this uh, rebroadcast, the uh, podcast portion. And uh, all the uh, Feed and Seed stores around the country that stream this radio show live, we thank you very much for uh, doing that. So we're going to cut away to our first commercial break. And uh, when we return, we'll have Rip Stalvey, American Poultry Association judge. He normally comes on the first Tuesday of every month, uh, but, but due to the death uh, and the family. Uh, actually, that situa- that time last night, he was sick. Him himself, he had he had a bad cold, bad flu, something, it really. So we, we had to care. There's no way he was, we weren't going to make him come on the air when he was feeling like death warmed over. So uh, that issue was just before uh, my dad passed, um, and he wasn't feeling well. So we're glad he's back, and we're going to be talking about incubation and brooding um, show poultry right after this short break. Stay with us. Hey, during the break, get your pen and paper out so you can take notes from everything that Rip has to uh, share with us. We'll be back right after this. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. 
Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Give the full a day directly into their water is all it takes for a stronger immune system. Introducing ePoultry, an all-natural, whey-based soluble that will help improve your flock's overall health. Made by farmers for farmers right here in the USA. ePoultry is a safe, all-natural way to give your birds the strong immune system they deserve. Learn more and purchase at www.eanimalproducts.com. That's www.eanimalproducts.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Wear Manufacturing. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's Super Chicken. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. All right, thank you very much for uh, staying with us today. I also have some other bad news um, that's happened since uh, our last broadcast uh, due to the delay to the uh, death in the family, and that is... Um, the owner, uh, he, he's been a sponsor now for a couple of years, um, and he owned and created uh, the Bright Tap Waterer. 
that you're familiar with. It's the device that uh, connects to a cooler to keep the water, and you can add ice to it to keep it cooler from the summertime. It has the nipple drinker on it. Uh, he also has the, the bright tap feeder that was released last year that's kind of a, uh, a court feeder, the traditional style court feeder we think of. But yet it's got a cover, the top of it kind of twists all the way down to, to keep the birds from uh, getting water, getting in it, poop, getting in it, standing in it, walking in it. And so he, he's developed those two items amongst others. And um, Bright Tap Water, many of you may have that, or the, the new Bright Tap Feeder that was released last year. Um, uh, the owner and creator of that business, he lost his wife truly unexpectedly um, uh, uh, within 10 days ago. So um, it was a very, very sad situation for him as well because uh, he told me and uh, emailed me the story of the situation and how and why it happened and, uh, yeah, truly uh, unexpected. So um, just just uh, keep him in your, your thoughts and prayers as well. That's the owner of the Bright Tap Feeder and Bright Tap Water sponsor for this show for, for a couple of years now. And a really great guy. I love working with him off off the air. And um, so we wish him the best in getting his business where it needs to be and dealing with the death of his, his wife and the mother of his kids. So, all right, let's get over here to the phone lines. We've got Rip Stalby. Again, he's American Poultry Association APA judge and uh, very well respected and well known in the show arena. And he's joined us uh, the first Tuesday of every month. Of course, he's making up uh, today, which we're glad he's in. But we've got incubation and brooding uh, for uh, for show poultry. Rip, thanks for joining us today. Hope you are feeling better, my friend. Thanks, Andy. I certainly am. Um, you know, that's the first time in my life I've ever had the flu, and I hope it is the last time in my life I ever get the flu. It is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not fun. Yeah, don't wish that on uh, on your worst enemy. It's definitely bad news and and uh yeah, not not fun at all. And and you're in Florida, so I know that when when we went up to the Tampa area, I noticed in the news that there's this new is it the Zika virus that's going around? I think there's been yes, somewhere between 5 and 9 cases in Florida. And last I heard, they were all from travelers coming back to Florida from countries that they were not, they did not have the virus that they caught, they felt here in the United States. I haven't kept up, I got other things on my mind and doing right now, so I haven't really kept up with that. But when we headed up to Tampa, um, uh, I remember seeing that in the uh, in the news. Also, real quick, I want to let everybody know if our sound is not quite as clear, not quite as crisp today as it has been in the, in the other recent episodes, um, I'm having to dial in and and broadcast a little bit differently. I don't quite have a strong. I'm in a more rural area, so if you noticed and detect a little bit lesser sound quality today, um, it's because of that. Um, but we got you know the show must go on, so I want to let everybody know that information uh, as well. But yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you're better. I'm glad and hope you don't have to deal with that anytime in the future. Uh, but I'm glad that you're here with us today and uh, talking about the topic today. Glad to be here, Andy. Um, Great. You know, last time I was on, uh, I said I was going to tell you all a kind of a cute story, and we ran out of time, and I didn't get around to it. So I'm going to do that up front mm -hmm. today. Uh, okay. I was judging a show one time, and there was this mother and her young son. He was probably, I don't know, 9 or 10 years old. And you could tell he was pretty much badgering her to let him get some chickens. And she was kind of putting him off and uh, I was down getting towards the end of the aisle, and, and they were standing there watching me as I went through the birds. And I heard her say, chickens are just dirty. You don't want chickens. 
And about that time, as luck would have it, I got a little chicken poop on my hand. And she quickly jumped on that and reinforced it with her son. See, I told you chickens were dirty. Well, I always carry a little moist towelette in my pocket, another <laughs> little sealed-up envelope. So I just took it out and calmly wiped it off and showed her my hands. She said, yeah, it comes off. I said, yes, ma'am, that's exactly right. Chicken dirt washes off. A lot of other dirt <laughs> kids get out of life doesn't come off nearly that easy. He went home with chickens. So. <laughs> but exactly. anyway, I want to talk uh, right up front uh, some breeding uh, information here. Uh, I mean, I know that a lot of folks uh, think that when you're breeding to the standard, it's not really that big a deal, but it actually is. Uh, you know, uh, breeding standard bred poultry is, is far more than taking a rooster and a hen. Uh, putting them together and collecting eggs, and 21 days later, you've got baby chicks. Well, in theory, that works, but in practice, if you're breeding to a written standard, there's a lot of things to take into mind. Uh, and, and one of the subjects that comes up frequently is compensation breeding, where you have a bird that may have a particular fault. Maybe his back is a little bit too short, and you want to increase the back length. Now, what most folks would commonly do is to go with a female that has a back that's a little bit too long and hope that you'll hit somewhere in the middle with the baby chicks. That really very seldom happens. In actuality, what you get is long back uh, birds and short backs, but nothing that's quite right. So, and goes to say that you don't want to breed two birds together that have the same fault or close to the same fault. So to compensate for the short back bird, you want to breed to a female that has the proper length of back. And your results are going to be much better that way. And it goes to saying with any section of the bird you're looking at, uh, in color, um, type, whatever, but just going by that standard is so critical. And learning the standard for your breed and for your variety will take you a long way. You know, a while back I wrote a piece called 15 Things You Must Do to Become a Good Chicken Breeder. And I had been thinking some of I have always folks ask me, what should they do to become a good chicken breeder? So here's my list. Number one is study the standard of perfection or the Bantam standard. And really learn about your breed and about your variety. And you're going to hear me say that a lot over the coming months. That is so, so important. Number two, be honest with yourself. You know, it's, and this is something I struggle with. Um, don't suffer from coop blindness and fool yourself into thinking your birds are better than they are or worse than they are. Um, you know, I, I go out there and I look at my birds and I think, you know, that, that bird's looking pretty good. And, but then later on, I go back and look at him and thought, gee whiz, where did that chicken come from? He needs to go. But so just don't suffer from coop blindness and be honest with yourself. Number three, find yourself a good mentor. There are some out there. They're hard to find, but worth their weight in gold. Look for somebody that's been breeding birds at least 10 to 15 years. Then follow their advice. Now, maybe they don't breed the same breed or variety that you do, but anybody that's hung around show poultry that long uh, picks up a lot of good knowledge along the way and it is invaluable. Number four, keep your line pure. You know, I see so many people today uh, 
they want to get new blood. They want to cross two different lines, and that very seldom works out to their advantage. Uh, you're going to bring bad faults to the surface from both lines and combine them into that the birds that you're getting. So if you feel like you need good birds or new blood, get an unrelated bird from the same line you're working with and always bring it through, uh, introduce it through the female side rather than the male. Your results are going to be better over the long term because if you bring in new blood and you use a male, nine times out of ten, that male is going to wind up being bred to a lot of different females. So if it doesn't work out, you've got a lot of less than desirable chicks on your hands. Mm-hmm. Number five, know where you want to go with your breeding. This goes back to learning your standard and your, your uh, breeding variety. What needs to be fixed about your birds? And for goodness sakes, don't try to fix too many things at one time because it will drive you crazy. Pick one or two faults to work on each year and make slow, steady improvement. Number six, build from a solid foundation. Get the very best birds that you can. Uh, that way you're light years ahead of the many who just pick up some birds and try to go forward with them. You want to get the best that you can lay your hands on. Number seven, remember the rule of tens, and this is something else you'll hear me refer to frequently. In other words, for every ten chicks you raise, usually only one will be good enough to keep for a show bird or for a breeder bird. For every 100 chicks you raise, count on about ten being good enough to keep. That's just, I've proven that out time and time and time again over the years, that the rule of tens really holds uh, a lot of weight. Number eight, call your birds rigorously. The tendency is for most people to keep too many birds. This can lead to overcrowding issues and the birds don't develop as they should, so cull your birds rigorously. That's the only way I know of to make good improvement in your birds. Number nine, limit your numbers. Only hatch about as many chicks as you can adequately take care of. Chicks reared in crowded conditions never reach their full potential. If you have space for, let's say, 50, hatch 40. You'll be glad you did in the long run. And keep really good records, uh, what I like to call forever records. Document everything, matings, results, egg color if you're into that, growth rate, vigor, uh, color, type. This will document your progress over time and guide you well into the future. If you're in it for the money, in other words, you're what I like to refer to as a chicken producer, a reproducer and not a true breeder, uh, you're not going to succeed. You're not going to be in it for the long haul. So do it for the right reason. Number 12, I like to breed from cocks and hens. They're over a year old, and it's pretty much a case of what you see is what you've got to work with. Uh, pullets and cockerels can change between oh, 12 and 18 months unbelievably. So if you can, breed from older cocks and hens. Number 13, Support the APA and the Breed Club. Become an active member in both. These organizations working to improve the hobby are so critical for us to succeed. Number 14, accept responsibility for your birds. If your birds have a problem, fix it. But don't blame your line's creator for the faults in your flock. Once you acquire your stock and start breeding, they're, they're your line and not theirs because they're not making the breeding decisions. And lastly, 
after you've been in this hobby for a few years, share your knowledge. You've learned a lot over the time uh, that you've invested in this hobby, and never be afraid to share your knowledge, particularly with the young fanciers. Uh, working with youth today is, is something that I really enjoy. Um, just spent several days at the Florida State Fair and involved with the youth show and the youth program there, and it, it's just so heartwarming uh, to see those kids that just each year continuously improve their birds and themselves, their showmanship. It, it just really makes my day, and it was such a blessing to be there. Andy, we're at about halfway point through the show. Do you want to take a break now, or would you like for me to keep going? Yeah, just keep going. Um, okay. We got a little bit of time. I, I had a little bit of longer host chat today, uh, letting everybody know where we were last week. So, yeah, please continue. We got we're probably another uh, fifteen minutes before we need to take a break. Got it. Well, let's talk about getting your birds ready for the breeding pen. Then we've decided which birds we want to breed to which. But there's some other things that you can do that will improve your chances of success. For example, check your birds for external parasites. Mites, lice can all cause problems in the breeding pens. And it's a good idea to give them a good worming before you set up your breeding pens. Uh, you just want to make sure your birds are just as healthy as they can possibly be. Healthy breeding stock gives you big, vigorous, healthy chicks. Vitamin supplements. I know some people uh, are big on this, some others not, and they depend solely on the feed. I actually prefer uh, to do a little vitamin supplementation with my breeder birds. I think in the long run it pays off in stronger chicks, um, more vigorous chicks, and it just kind of helps the birds through what can and sometimes be a, a stressful situation. I don't have plenty of space in your breeder birds. I like about 10 square feet for a large fowl and roughly about half that for bantams. Um, I'd rather give them too much space than not enough because when birds get crowded, they get stressed and they do things like feather picking and just unbelievable. So give them plenty of space. Well, let's talk now about some breeding plants and the different advantages and disadvantages of each one. First is is flock mating where you have a group of females and you put one or more males in there and the advantage is you can get a lot of chicks that way but the disadvantage is you really don't have any way of knowing who the parents are and if you're going to make progress it's a really good idea to make sure you can identify the parents of each and every chick that you hatch and we'll get into that in just a minute but so flock mating quick way to a lot of chicks, but not necessarily the best for making improvements. Line breeding, uh, which I like, um, and I use a variation of this, is where you're breeding together loosely related individuals, but within the same line. Um, inbreeding is where you would be breeding very closely related individuals, father to daughter, brother to sister, son to mother. Um, if done right, it, it can really set some good qualities in your birds, but I don't recommend inbreeding for the newcomers to show poultry. Uh, it takes a lot of skill and a lot of patience and a lot of practice to be able to do that. You know, I, I alluded just a few minutes ago to identifying the parents of the chicks. One way to do that is what the old-timers called pedigree breeding. 
and they would use things like trap nests where when a hen would go uh, into the nest, a door would fall down, trapping her with inside of the nest. Uh, she'd lay her egg, and a worker would come by and take her out of the, the uh, nest, look at her band number on her leg, and record the band num- female band number on the actual egg itself. So it was positively, you know, which bird laid which egg and who the parents were, because you usually only have one male in each pen with maybe 10 to 15 females. So it was an easy way keep the chickens together but still be able to identify who laid what egg. A method that I like uh, to use to breed and has stood me in very good stead uh, over the years is what I call family line breeding. It builds great uniformity in a flock. Uh, It gets to be after three or four years just like peas in a pod almost. But if I have a breeding pen of let's say eight females all those females are related. They're either mothers, daughters, full sisters, half sisters, aunts, grandmothers, but they are all related. Um, I maintain four different breeding pens of black copper morons. And in theory, I'll be able to go a very long time using this type of breeding without ever having to introduce birds. I've got pens one, two, three, and four. Now, this year, in my pen one, all the females are related, but I'm using a male out of pen four to breed to them. And you can just keep rotating the males around every year, every couple of years, and you can go a long time and not ever have to worry about your birds being inbred or anything associated with that sort of situation. So family line breeding has worked well for me. Uh, it's worked well for a lot of folks that I know, and it's it's... It, like I said, it, it just gives you very, very uniform chicks in the long run. Uh, you will be amazed, uh, really probably about the second year if you try that, just how much better your birds are going to look and how much alike they're going to become. Uh, just a really good way to go about uh, breeding your birds. Well, let's talk about natural versus artificial incubation and some of the advantages and disadvantages to that. Um, natural is where you let the hen uh, set on her eggs or another bird's eggs Um, and I'll I'll be up front with you very few chicks have better condition than those raised by a mother hen Uh, she teaches them all about this whole chicken world thing and how to get by and how to survive Uh, and they just get fascinating it truly is it's it's really fascinating to see that that experience I recommend it to everyone if they have a chance the downside to that is, and I can, <laughs> when I really need a hen to go broody, they won't go broody for anything. When I don't <laughs> need them to go broody, everybody in the coop is trying to set at one time. So it's, it's frankly not very dependable sometimes, and so that's why I, I use uh, artificial incubation or, or an incubator. Um, and it's worked well for me over the years. Uh, Plus, it leaves you out of all the frustration of trying to find a broody hen when you really need one. But uh, artificial incubation, you can control pretty much everything that goes on for those eggs and the chicks. Um, Interestingly enough, I I read a paper here a while back that indicated putting LED lights in your incubator 
uh, from about day 18 on really resulted in slightly more chicks and improved hatchability and stronger chicks because you run those lights 12 hours on and 12 hours off. And that begins to set the circadian rhythm or the natural day-night routine within the embryos before they even hatch. Um, and and I've, I've got that set up going now, and I'm going to see how it works, and I'll be sure and let you all know in the future. But I thought that was really, really fascinating information. Incubator temperatures, follow the manufacturer's recommendation, but I'm going to be honest with you, depending on what part of the country you're in, you're probably going to want to approach it a little bit differently uh, and, and test a few things because I'm in Florida. We just, a fact of life, we're going to deal with heat and humidity. Now, I keep my incubator in my office, uh, so it's in a climate-controlled environment, but I'm still somewhat affected uh, by the humidity. Temperature, not so much, mm -hmm. but humidity, a, a great deal. Yeah. Uh, and I use uh, what I like to call dry incubation. Uh, I, I hatch a lot of Marans. Uh, they have very dark eggshells. Uh, the dark eggshells uh, have a lot of pigment on them. So it's very difficult for the fluid within the egg itself to evaporate as it should in a timely fashion. So I found that by not adding any water to the incubator until day 18, I went from about 70% hatches to 95 to 96% hatches by doing it that way. Um, just something about those really dark shelled eggs, they, they can be a challenge to hatch sometimes, but it's so rewarding. And it also works well with my other breeds. I hatch reds and uh, bard rocks, and I, I get good results by not adding any water. Now, admittedly, the humidity outside of the incubator stays at a fairly constant, about 45%. Uh, so um, I haven't checked it lately on the inside of the incubator. It's probably somewhere close to that. But then during, um, when they're getting ready to, to hatch and starting on day 18, I really up the uh, humidity inside, uh, adding water. and if you need to raise the humidity and, and it, it becomes a matter of increasing the surface area of the water or if you need to lower it, decreasing the surface area. That's what controls uh, the rise and fall of humidity is the amount of surface area. So you can do this with using sponges, adding another water tray, um, just something of that nature to give you more water area surface uh, surface area it, it really works and it works like a charm uh, and like I said if you need to decrease the humidity you can do that as well uh, just by decreasing the amount of surface area in your incubator some common problems that I run into or, or see folks encounter um, they have chicks hatching and the inner membrane of the um, egg actually stuck to the chicks and this can actually prevent them from hatching at all and this is a pretty good indication that the humidity in your incubator is not high enough some folks refer to them as shrink wrapped chicks so if you're having that issue up the humidity if your chicks 
or hatching mushy and wet. Um, it's probably an indication your humidity is too high, so I would decrease the amount of humidity. Um, chicks hatching too early, uh, usually an indication your temperature is a degree or two too high. Or if you get a late draggy hatch, probably because your temperature is not quite high enough. You know, it takes a lot of tinkering and toying around with incubators um, to really figure them out and, and to get them functioning at a high efficiency for you. Um, you can spend almost a whole season working with some of the better incubators to get things fine-tuned to your particular situation, and, and that's the key. The manufacturer's recommendations are only, um, it's kind of a one-size-fits-all kind of generic sort of situation, and it's a really, really, really good place to start, but you need to be willing to do that little fine-tuning and uh, what happens if I up the humidity at this point or what happens if I lower it or up the temperature or lower the temperature. Uh, but with the newer uh, incubators out today that have the good digital uh, thermometers and electronic thermostats, it's made life much, much easier. I, I can remember uh, I had some old uh, redwood incubators that I was using. And they were a little finicky, but they you could get good hatches, but you really had to work it tinkering around with them and toying with them and, and just getting things just right and then you could get decent hatches. So you may have to do some of that with the newer incubators but probably not all that much. So just try it and see what works for you. That's the best advice I can give you. Uh, my situation is not the same as yours and yours is not going to be the same thing as Andy's. So what works for you is what you ought to do. Andy, you want to take a break now? Yeah, we can take a break. That that's fine. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, incubation. I know that we've done a uh, few articles in Chicken Whisper magazine regarding incubation. Some basic articles and some more advanced articles as well. And and as uh, um, Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, often calls it, it's it's almost equal part art and equal part science. It's, it's almost I agree because, with that. Uh, the the art of incubation, and um, it's uh, it is, and it can be frustrating for a lot of folks. Sometimes when I hear, you know, you know, things will always evolve. There will always be new and improved things that, that we can try. A lot of times when I've, in the past, I've had eggs in the incubator and I'm doing something and, and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm cool with that. I got, you know, 70% hatch. And, and I look, I often go to uh, a lot of sponsors I've had for many years, the, hat, the, the big hatcheries. And um, it's... Uh, uh, <laughs> when I remember uh, touring through, not many people do this, touring the hatchery at um, Ideal Poultry. You know, they hatch now 6 million, or they ship uh, uh, over 6 million chicks every single year. And we show you know they're hatching probably twice that many. And, you know, I, I, you know going in, walking in, you know, looking at the incubator and their, their hatchers and things and going outside and looking. So, so what are they, I mean, if they're, if they're dependent on this, this is how they're buying their houses and paying their employees, benefits employees, putting their kids through college. I mean, they got a lot riding on this, and and I look at that temperature gauge, and I'm like, ah, 99.5. You know, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Uh, but I know, like, a lot of our GQF uh, Genesis, they're uh, preset right at 100. And, and we talk about that when we teach this in our um, programs, that, you know, 99.5 is probably something you'll see in a lot of literature out there. A lot of the preset ones are coming out preset at right at 100, 
Uh, some science that goes into that is uh, we want the inside of the egg to be 99.5. So if the incubator outside of the egg is 100, we feel the inside is 99.5 based on the shell and resistance, all that. And um, so, so it's uh, you know it's it's really fascinating, and, and, and you can hear my voice. I get excited about it, just talking about it because it's so fascinating to see. And then, and then doing things, comparing. Well, you know, uh, ideal poultry is happy with you know. Uh, 78% to 82%. You know, it's 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 interesting to see how many people are not satisfied unless they get 90%, 80, you know, 95%. All of them hatched. You know, I got 80%, 90%. When that really, in my opinion, anyway, should be extra extraordinary. I think I, I tell folks, look, if you get if you get a 70%, you should be thrilled. Um, I know the big boys are happy when they get 75 to 85. You know, uh, anything more than that is just gravy. And uh, now look at you know the temperature. What, what, what temperature you have to set at? You're putting your kids through college and, and shipping how many millions? And it's 99. Uh, you know, using it that you know if that's really so hot, how come they're not doing it? You know, so, so a lot of that comes into play. It's fascinating. Another fascinating thing I'll share. Our listeners have heard me say this probably a half a dozen times. Uh, and, and we always continue to learn. Uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, I was at the Ag, ag uh, Conference in South Georgia and was talking and sitting in on a presentation with a uh, poultry scientist from Auburn University. And they were talking about um, uh, healthy hatches, healthy chicks from hatch. And, and you know as well as I do, Rip, that uh, years and for, for a long time, early 1900s, you pull a book out about incubation and, and brooding from, say, 1905, 1925, there are some that even suggest once they hatch, refrain from food and water for 72 hours before you put them in the brooder, blah, blah, blah. We know we can ship nationwide because of the 72-hour rule. The chick absorbs the yolk. That gives it nutrition for up to 72 hours. Um, and then they were talking about, which was fascinating to me, if we're doing this at home on our own, if we have the capability of doing this, you know, as soon as they hatch and you give them time, depending on the humidity and, and the type of incubator and whatnot, whether they're fully dry and fluffed out in six hours or 26 hours, once these baby chicks are, are fully fluffed out and dry and are walking around on their own, pecking and researching on their own, get them into that brooder because if they can get on water and chick starter, the sooner they can get on water and chick starter, that means they can use the water and the chick starter feed to, quote-unquote, survive and live. And then there you can use the yolk to better um, equip their longevity in their life by fighting with antibodies, fighting disease, having a better immune system. So if we're relying on that yolk just to allow them to survive for 72 hours, yeah, it'll work. Yeah, it'll, it'll, you know, that, that's what it's for. But as soon as they're ready, meaning fluffed out, walking around, exploring, get them in that, and, and then they can utilize that yolk, not just to survive. They're using the chick starter and water to survive. They're using the yolk just like a mother's milk or colostrum that comes out first. Um, all, all the great benefits of that for a long, healthy life, even with baby chicks. And I, that was a two, or t two years ago, I think it was, when I said it on that conference. Fascinating stuff. I was just like, wow, this is great. Never stopped learning. And, uh, but but, but I, I share that with uh, folks as well. The incubation, I tell folks, 
whether you're 9 or 90, you need to do it at least once in your life to, to experience that. And also, like you said earlier, recommend just seeing that mama hen actually uh, uh, brood and raise the baby chicks because that alone is just fascinating. The communication alone will just make your jaw drop like, wow, did you see what just happened between the hen and the chick? And it's just a, it really is a, for, for anybody. Um, I think it's a great uh, experience. But, yeah, incubation, it's, it's one of those things that – and you'll talk to people, well, yeah, 99.5, but, uh, you know, 100. Personally, I've been doing it for 40 years, and I like 98.632. And <laughs> people laugh when I say that. But you know, you're doing a long time. Like you said, the area. We live in the south, my friend. It is humid. And then, but you might live in a very dry, 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 cold state, and uh, it's, it's it can be a very different factor when you're living in you know the deep south where it's always humid and, and then people who are oh my gosh i've done everything to try to get my humidity up in this day everything and it's not working and some people are like i got too much how do i how can i what can i do to release some of this humidity so you're right that, that i 100 percent agree based on where they're at and where them incubator placement can be a big factor that that humidity it can be so frustrating for uh, so many uh, so many people folks we're talking with rip stalby he's a uh, a judge for poultry uh, american poultry uh, association and uh, we're going to take a quick break we'll come back and uh, he'll wrap it up lots of great information we thank you very much for tuning in and uh, again keep those pen and papers out we'll return right after this short break Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at Hensaver.com. That's Hensaver.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. 
Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then look no further than Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from appearance-grade western red cedar right here in the USA. Urban Coop Company coops are designed to be both beautiful and functional. I invite you to visit their website to learn about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. They're passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit their website at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Hey, thanks very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Uh, our final segment here, we've got uh, Rip Stalvey with uh, uh, American Poultry Association judge. And uh, if you, you love it when he's on, he comes uh, normally the first Tuesday of every single month talking about the show scene. He is also uh, the newest contributor to Chicken Whisperer magazine. In fact, the spring, the ever-so-popular spring issue, tis the season, huh, um, will uh, probably be going to the printers later this week. And then it should be getting sent if you subscribe to the totally free digital edition. Uh, then you'll probably get that sometime towards, I would say, the end of next week. Maybe not this Saturday, but next Saturday it may be sent out to you. And then if you subscribe to the print edition, because you like to have a touchy-feely magazine sitting in your easy chair on that rainy Saturday afternoon, um, those will probably you'll probably get those in uh, a week later. So, uh, And you sub- can subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine and see Rip's article. It's called Rip's Show Poultry. And uh, lots of other great uh, information by going to chickenwhisperermagazine.com. So, uh, Rip, we are back, and uh, we'll uh, turn it over to you, and you can uh, finish up our segment. Okay, thanks, Andy. Uh, We were talking about breeding and incubation, and I want to touch a little bit now on how to identify chicks uh, and why it's important, and also some basics of brooding. Uh, one of the methods, and there are several that you can use to identify chicks, are small leg bands. Uh, you have to keep changing these as the chicks grow and mature uh, to the bigger sizes. These are little uh, different colored spiral leg bands 
and they work really well. You can also get uh, leg bands with numbers on them. Um, those work pretty well. They can, uh, chickens will sometimes slip those off. Uh, so that can be an issue. So just go into that open-minded knowing that you're going to have to really watch those things sometimes. Um, another thing that I know a lot of folks use is uh, colored zip ties, different colored zip ties to tell them different things. Um, starting when the chicks are, are day old, the real disadvantage to those, and, and one of the reasons I don't really recommend them, uh, is that if left on the chick's leg too long, it will actually cause a leg deformity and lameness in the chick because the, the uh, leg will actually try to grow around those bands. So they have to be taken off and reapplied on a fairly regular basis not to cause a problem. Uh, it works for some people and, and, you know, good for them. If that's what they like, go for it. Uh, another type of banding uh, you can use is a wing band, and it clips uh, just through the skin at the what would be the elbow, elbow joint on the uh, wing causes very little pain. Uh, it's a permanent band. It doesn't come off. There's a couple of styles out there. Uh, the one I, I use and recommend is the Jiffy. It has a special set of pliers to put them on with. And it's very, very simple to do that. And like I said, it's a permanent band. Um, it'll be with, with the chicken for the duration of their lives. Another method to identify chicks that I use, and you know, we were talking about this family line breeding setup that I use. Um, I toe punch chicks. And what a toe punch is, you know between the chicks uh, three front toes are a web. It's not very big, particularly on day old chicks. Uh, but they actually make a little punch that looks like a very miniature version of a paper punch, a one hole paper punch. And you can actually use that to punch a hole uh, through the web on a chicken's foot. Or chicks would. It's best to do it when, when I, I do it when I take them out of the incubator. Uh, it's quick and it's painless. You might get the occasional little bit of blood, but nothing bad. Um, you can actually get 16 different um, number combinations depending on which web you punch out or combination of webs. So I identify all my families. You know, I, I use one, two, three, four from Iran's. Uh, that's families one, two, three, and four. Uh, it's very simple. Um, and Andy, what I'll do is I'll uh, fix a digital copy of that toe punch chart and send it to you, and you can actually post it up on your Facebook page uh, if folks are interested in that. And it will really explain uh, how to go about using those to your best advantage. So I'll, I'll try that's to get great. that done in the next day. That would be super, yeah, because I'm sure right now when you describe that, there's a lot of people out there that are cringing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm like, sure. what, what? <laughs> a little bit. It's like when we talk about pinless peepers and things. They're like, wait, what, pinless peepers? How do they work? What do you do? Oh, no, I can't do that. And, you know, different things <laughs> like that. So uh, just because this is just a misunderstanding or they're not familiar with it, and so they have their immediate response is, what, huh, how? So, um, yeah, and the leg bands, I've used those several times uh, in the past, and, um, the different colored ones, and they're they're cheap enough to have have a lot on hand and and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, yeah I'll, I'll get that for you the next pair or two, and you can get it up on the Facebook page. Uh, and okay. and I I will add that that toe punch is permanent uh, because it actually punches out a piece of the, the skin all the way through. Um, so it's 
on the chicken from the day you put it on there until the day the bird passes away. Brooding temperatures. Uh, man, down in the south, they're really important. And it took me a while to, to figure this one out. I kept, all my breeds were single comb breeds. And I kept getting males that had great big, overly overly big combs. And, and females, some of the combs would flop when they shouldn't flop. And it finally dawned on me several years ago that what I, I was following the manufacturer's recommendation. Put the chicks in the brooder, 85 degrees, take it down 5 degrees every week. But because it's so hot and humid here, that 85 degrees was a little bit too high. Now, chickens don't sweat like you and I do. Um, right, right. But the way they have of cooling themselves off is the comb and the wattles and then panting. Uh, the high temperature uh, was leading to cause the birds to produce bigger than normal or desired combs. So I found that for me, and here again, it goes back what works for me may not work for you, but uh, for me at least, I start my brooder at 80 degrees and then take it down 5 degrees every week. And I get much better combs, and, and they're they're much more proper and, and in proportion the way they should be. And of course, when you're brooding chicks, you want to make sure that they've got plenty of room because you start crowding chicks, and you, you get into problems. They get bored, and they start pecking each other, and then you've got bloody chicks, and you've got chick pickers that won't stop no matter what you do, seems like. So give them plenty of space. And even when they're up uh, several weeks old, sometimes what I'll do is I'll go out to the garden and get a head of cabbage, and I'll, I'll leave the stalk on it. And I'll tie that head of cabbage and suspend it up over the brooder or, or grow out pen. And just low enough that they actually have to jump just a little bit to get at it to, to eat the cabbage. And that really helps knock down the boredom issue. Gives them something to do and something to pick at, and it also gives them a food source that's, that's pretty good for them. I like giving my birds fresh greens at all times if I possibly can. So make sure your your chicks have plenty of space. Don't crowd them, and for heaven's sakes, make sure they've got plenty of cool water all the time, clean, uh, and and feed. Now I I will admit that very few things can waste feed more than a baby chick can. <laughs> they tend to want to sit there and just kind of build it out, scratching through it with their beak to get the little choice pieces of corn if they can find them. But what you can do to help prevent that is if you're using a uh, trough-type feeder, and it has a little holes they can get their heads in. But get you some half-by-one-inch wire or, or uh, half-inch hardware cloth, and cut it so it fits down on top of the feed. Mm -hmm. They can still eat, but they can't build that feed out and waste it the way they were in the past. <laughs> so that's just a handy tip to remember because they can, man, they can go through some feed. Woo. <laughs> they they, wait, they eat a lot and they waste a lot. I tell folks, uh, especially the newbies, I'm like, you know, you go to the feed store and you literally in your hands are holding six baby chicks. And then you go and say, okay, what do I need for these tiny little baby chicks? And they go and they see the big 50-pound bag of chick starter <laughs> for, we'll just say, 20 bucks. And then they see a little 5-pound bag of chick starter uh, for $9, you know. And, you know, it's like, 
Oh, well, look at these tiny little chicks. They're so small. I'll get this five-pound bag. It's going to last an awful long time. And then later that day, they're back at the feed store <laughs> buying another five-pound bag or buying a 50-pound bag. So I, I always stress that in, in my workshops. And I'm glad you talked about the brooder temperature because I tell folks, I said, as a as a uh, as a guide, just to give you some ideas, I'm like you know you always hear in a lot of publications regarding the brooder, start it off at 95, reduce it five degrees every week thereafter, and I tell folks that you know that that's everywhere. It's all over blogs and forums about chickens. Da 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 da. da. But I tell them I'm like, look, that's probably not very accurate because if you have every square inch of your brooder at 95 degrees. Skip, Rip, you may agree with this because that's happened to me before. I'll just say I've had more baby chicks come back to me back when I was kind of doing selling and getting people started a decade ago. I had more come back to me dead because they killed them with kindness, i.e. had yes. too much heat on them. Um, and yes. so I'm like, you know, you will probably actually lose some chicks if you, your entire brooder is 95. Hey, do you want a little area there, 95? Maybe right under the heat source. But, like, you know, again, have that elongated brooder so they can move around, self-regulate, you know, that type of thing. If you, you, that you do not want your entire brooder to be 95 degrees, and there's so much information out there that says your brooder should be 95 and then 90 and then 85 and then 80 and that, and so on. Exactly. And so also in our presentations, we talk about that. I said, you know, maybe if you want to have that one little area under the, the heat source to be 95, but you've got to have, you, you know, far away where they can get because they'll all as you know they'll scatter around you look down in there in that perfect brooder you'll have a few that are right under that heat source you'll have a few far far away and then you'll have some just kind of scattered anywhere in between it's just kind of like uh, us humans you know my wife is very cold natured i'm hot natured uh she would be right under that heat source all day long and i'm way <laughs> as, as far away as i can get I, I'm far away as far as i can get now as i get older i've noticed that my tolerance of cold weather has become smaller and smaller and smaller, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm still not at the point of of uh, wearing a sweater in in July, and we all know those folks. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that uh, mentioned that as well regarding that. So uh, anything else you'd like to uh, you like uh, you know after the years like oh just oh should I said that one more thing or just what could have relayed this one more thing uh, before we wrap up? Is there anything you'd like to uh, wrap up with? Andy, I, I would just add, and, and you kind of touched on it a little bit there, and, and um, but the more we can raise chickens the way a mother hen would, uh, the better off those chicks are going to be, and they're stronger, and they're going to feather well. Uh, and it goes, it kind of goes back to the temperature thing. You know, the only time those chicks are getting direct heat is when they're up under mama. But if you if you observe a hen mm-hmm. with a brood of chicks, uh, they spend a lot more time out from under mama than they do under mama. Absolutely. That's uh, just just make it fun, make it simple, make it natural, and you will do well. Absolutely. That's really all I've got today, sir. And uh, again, thanks for having me on the show. It's always fun, and look forward to doing it again next month. Yeah, I'll look at the uh, calendar. My my spring tour uh, has been delayed, and the reason for that was. We started. We were going to originally try to launch our tour right after the big feed conference in Columbus, Ohio, that ends on like the fourth or fifth of March. 
the problem with that was our tour was going to be in Wisconsin, Michigan, northern Illinois, northern Indiana, and northwestern Ohio. Well, the problem with that and starting it in early March or even in mid-March, which we changed it to a while back, were there's no RV resorts or RV parks open up there until really tax day, April 15th, because there's frozen water everywhere, and nobody wants to be camping when it's 12 degrees. So, um, so after looking at you know getting a route and then looking for places to stay on the tour in the RV, we were like, red flag. You know, I'm not from the south. I don't you know you don't, something you don't pop in here. Oh, there's no places to camp in Wisconsin in in, in March. Really? How come? <laughs> so so it's been officially delayed. Uh, our first event on the spring tour will be April the 18th, and it'll go start on the 18th and go for about. Um, I think it goes three weeks strong. I think we've got an event, uh, four days, four days, and five days. I think there's uh, 12 events on, on the spring tour, all up in that same area. So, But, um, yeah, one of those. Well, hey, thank you very much for uh, for joining us first Tuesday of every month, and that's where I was going with this. Next month, first Tuesday, should be good for me, and I'll talk to you off the air about that and topics and things like that. But, uh, Rip, thank you very much for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Andy. Y'all have a great day. Yep, you take care. And I like the way the Rip was talking about the more maybe the more natural things that you can do for for them and, and that type of thing. It's like when people talk about uh, heating coops. Everybody knows my two cents worth on that, especially my long time listeners. There will always be people that will heat their coop. But it's interesting when people say, "Ooh, I live in Wisconsin." And uh, it gets cold here. What kind? How, how do I heat my coop? What do I need to heat my coop with? And um, you go back and you try to be realistic with this and say, you know, you are not the first person in Wisconsin to raise chickens. Um, you are not the first person in Wisconsin to raise chickens after 1930 when y'all actually, around that date, got electricity. So how did the thousands of people in Wisconsin before 1930 raise chickens? Because there was no electricity give or take a few years, depending on where you live in the country, there's a lot of rural places that didn't have electricity even in 1930. So, you know, uh, we've only really been involved in heating coops for the last 100 years, which means chickens have been doing just fine for about 8,000 years without heaters in their coops. Um, and then there's variables to that about having a proper coop, of course, and the type of breeds you got and, 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 and the um, um the number of chickens you have, yeah, but, but again, for the most part, how did chickens survive before 1930? And they've been domesticated for about 8,000 years. So, uh, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Again, I'll post later on our Facebook page and over on Twitter where I'm going to be tomorrow morning, bright and early, and where you can tune in. I will be on a local radio station talking chicken, spreading the chicken love, and I'll get you the link on how you can tune in for that later this afternoon. So, again, thank you very much for tuning in today. I'll be back this Thursday, same time, 2 p.m. Eastern, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, my special guest will be poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae. We're going to be talking about bantam breeds, all things uh, bantam breeds. That's this Thursday at 2 p.m. Thanks for tuning in today. God bless. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.